Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, how many did do their homework last week or how many did not? I gave you three Psalms to read. Hands up those who didn't do it. Uh, you're forgiven, Father Connors. <laughs> but you must do it next week. Okay, uh, there's only about uh, three verses in one psalm and uh, about seven in the other psalm. So bear with me, I'm going to read them again as, because this is going to be a little bit more thinking for you, for you along with me uh, with the whiteboard and the diagram you've got. You've got some fillings to do. So let's turn to Psalm 133. 133. And uh, the session we're going to be looking at is tonight Psalm 133 and Psalm 110, the Psalms of the Priesthood. And as you've got on your notes there, introductory, there are two particular Psalms given over to the priesthood. There's uh, bits and pieces and others. Number one, the Psalm of the Aaronic Priesthood. Psalm 133, the, the priest of the tribe of Levi. And number two, the Psalm of the Melchizedek priesthood. Psalm 110, the king of the tribe of Judah. So priest and king. Okay, so much in these uh, Psalms, I'm trying to condense a bit. All right, so Psalm 133, let's read it. I'll read it from old uh, authorised here. Behold... Look at this. In other words, that's what he's really saying. Have a look at this. Consider this. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren, and we'll include the cisterns here, to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. Now let's turn back to Psalm 110. And we have seven verses here. Again, I'll read it from old authorized here. So the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of uh, thy strength out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of the, thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing... Uh, New King James says, your people shall be volunteers uh, in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at your right hand uh, shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Wrath, wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. All right, now, I want you to think along with me here because uh, these two psalms are so, they, they cover such vast material that uh, I want you to think along. We just touch on some of the high spots. All right, now. We're dealing with two psalms here. Psalm 133, the psalm of the Aaronic priesthood. And Psalm 110, the psalm of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, how many were here and, uh, when we did uh, Pearls from Peter? Hands up. Okay, so a number of you were. So bear with me as I re repeat a little bit. 
In the, in the vast overall picture, and that's what I want you to see first of all, we'll spend a bit of time on this, you find that there was uh, basically, uh, what I say, one, two, three, yeah, four types of priesthood, we might say. So if, I'm not going to put the word up here fully, but I'd like you to put this down. First of all, there's what we call patriarchal priesthood. Those of you who did pearls from Peter may remember this. Patri patriarchal priesthood. And what we find here is that from Adam, Adam and Job and Noah, they were all patriarchs. And so we have Adam here, Job somewhere here, and then Noah here. The priesthood was the head of the family. So the priest was the head of the family and he was priest in his house offering, building altars or offering sacrifices to the Lord and so there was patriarchal priesthood. Then when we get to Genesis chapter 14 we have this mysterious person and uh, I just you know, don't exercise your leg muscles till I'm through here. We have this mis uh, mysterious person by the name of Melchizedek turn up to Abraham and uh, I'm just going to put MPH, that's not miles per hour, that is Melchizedek priesthood. Okay, so this mysterious person turns up to Abraham uh, as Melchizedek. And Abraham must have known who he was or recognized who he was or had some revelation as to who he was, Melchizedek priesthood. We'll come back to that. But then when you go down here, and you can put this uh, Exodus 19 here, in Exodus 19, and only for time's sake, we're going to have to just uh, do the big picture here. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai. In fact, uh, I think we will turn to this one. Turn to Exodus 19 a moment. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. All right, Exodus 19, just a little bit here. It'll help us to sort of understand these psalms a little bit more. And remember, we're doing seeds from psalms. All right, Exodus 19. And uh, just a running commentary a little bit here. A reminder for those who did pearls from Peter. All right, in the third month, the third month was the month of Pentecost. Not Passover month, the first month. The third month, which was Pentecost. Not the seventh month, which was Feast of Tabernacles. The third month. After the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Wilderness experience. They had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before uh, the mountain or the mountain of God. And Moses went up to God. You never go down to God, always go up. And the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, these, uh, oh, I'm having two columns here. Uh, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, the wings again, and brought you to myself. That's it. Brought, bring us to himself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, you just have to take for granted, I haven't got time to uh, repeat uh, from uh, Pearls from Peter, but up to this time, 
The only covenant Israel knew anything about was Adam had a covenant, the Abrahamic, uh, the Adamic covenant, pardon me, and Job and Noah, the Noahic covenant. Abraham had the uh, Abrahamic covenant, as we call it, um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so when God says to them, all right, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bring you on eagles' wings to myself. If you would keep my covenant, now the only covenant they really know about that they're involved in is the Abrahamic covenant. Then not only does he offer that, he said, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, obey my voice, then you will be unto me a kingdom of priests. Now, the moment he offered that to them, he was actually offering to them the uh, order of Melchizedek. Because you see, Melchizedek, as we'll see in due time, was a king and a priest. Now later on, uh, well I'll come, uh, you remind me not to forget to remember to say that. Later on, God changed his mind for some reason. But he offered them, he said, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Now, if they were to be a kingdom of priests, like in the new covenant we are called to be kings and priests, that was the order of Melchizedek. Because Abraham knew Melchizedek as a king and priest, you will be to me kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. Now, the sad thing is, and I can only hit this and say it, say it hit it and run away, about seven times when Moses went up to the mount and, and told the words of the Lord to the people and came down the mount and took the words of the people back to God, about seven times, if I remember correctly, they boastingly said to Moses, just tell God all that the Lord says we'll do. She'll be right, mate. Typical Australians. <laughs> She'll be right. Just anything the Lord says we'll do. And it's like God changed his mind because I haven't got time to give all those scriptures, it's too vast. But he says, oh, that there was a, such a heart in them. And so God dropped down to a secondary level and instead of them becoming a kingdom of priests, the order of Melchizedek, God introduced a secondary order, the Aaronic priesthood. And from now on, he divides the two offices, one to the tribe of Levi and one to the tribe of Judah. The thing that was given to the tribe of Levi was priesthood, and the thing that was given to the tribe of Judah was kingship. No longer, and anybody who tried to unite those offices of king and priest, like Uzziah, King Saul, and so forth, God zapped them, because those two offices. But when Jesus came, he comes of the tribe of Judah, and he is a priest, in the Godhead. I'll come back to that later on. So we've got to see the big picture here. So Exodus 19. So Melchizedek appeared to Abraham and so forth. We'll come back to that. And then they dropped down to a secondary level. And this was never God's perfect will. It was God's permitted will. Permissive, if you like, but permissive become a bad word. Permitted will. God permitted it. And for 1,500 years... From Exodus 19 through to here, the Aaronic priesthood prevailed. But who were the ones that crucified Jesus? The priests. Caiaphas, Annas, the high priest. And we're told in Luke 23, the voice of the chief priest prevailed above that of the people, saying, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. So this Aaronic priesthood crucified Jesus. So now, when you go to the revelation of the Melchizedek priesthood, 
we have three things, and I'd like you to put the words down because I'm not a very good writer. Genesis 14 is the historical, so you'll just have to fill in your notes there, the historical. Then when David, by revelation of the Spirit, he writes Psalm 133 about the blessings of the Aaronic priesthood, yet he sees something in the Melchizedek priesthood and writes a psalm on that. So Psalm 133 and Psalm 110, both written by David, and this is prophetical. And what David does, he goes way back to Genesis 14 and takes bits out of this and says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. So David is seeing something in spirit. Then when we come to the book of Hebrews, chapters 5, 6, and 7, the writer of Hebrews, and I believe personally it's Paul, but he goes back to the historical and the prophetical, and he takes every little detail virtually and brings it over and applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so what do we get here? This is the doctrinal, or if you want to... A bigger word, the theological. So we have a threefold revelation of the Melchizedek priesthood on this level. To Abraham, historical. To David, prophetical. And if it's Paul, doctrinal. So we have to put all the parts of the jigsaw puzzle together as we go here. Abraham, David, and whoever it was, Paul, we'll say. And yet God permitted this thing. Now, as you go back to Genesis chapter 14, and we'll have to, uh, you just have to read the Bible, I want you to notice several important things here, that Abraham, I think he knew who this guy was. Abraham had been a battle of four kings against five, nine kings in battle. He's rescued his nephew Lot, and lots and lots of Lots today. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, this 10th king turns up by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, Melchi means king, and Zedek is king of righteousness. And notice what Abraham does. And uh, either he knew who this mysterious person was, or else, you know. No, what happens here? Abraham received the bread and the wine from Melchizedek. He is a king priest. He receives the bread and wine. And this is the first specific account we have of communion in the Bible. Bread and wine, the Lord's table by implication. First record of it. Now Abraham's not looking this from every, every Tom, Dick and Harry. And then on top of that, Abraham gave him tithes of all the spoils of the battle. So I want you to notice here, in seed form, the table and the tithes are connected. And this is covenant time. Abraham is a covenant man. The AC, the Abrahamic covenant, bread and wine, tithes, Melchizedek priesthood. It's all there. In seed form. And Abraham is the father of all who believe. And you see, I'm sorry to say this in one way, but a lot of people today want the blessings of the table but they don't want the blessing of tithes. Uh, takers. 
Abraham received the communion and gave. Now, shall I say this? I'll sneak it in. Having been around the traps a bit, one of the disgusting things that's coming out today, and I don't know how many have seen this, you can download it if you want to get it off the mark of the beast, I mean the computer. <laughs> this guy says that Melchizedek was a pedophile, a pagan idolater, I downloaded all this, and a worshipper of Baal, and that when he blessed uh, Abraham in the name of El Elyon, or God Most High, that was the name of Baal, and that uh, he only gave tithes ever once, all his life, and that was because it was an Arab custom. So Kevin Connor, never fear, Kevin's here. After two years' conversation on this with the person involved, I said, that is the biggest insult to my Lord Jesus Christ. Because the writer in Hebrews goes back to this and this and says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You are my Son. And he that said to him, you are my Son, said in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I said, that's the biggest insult to my Jesus to say he's made after the order of a pedophile and a child molester and a pagan idolater and so forth. And I said, what's more, if Abraham had gave tithes, because it was an Arab custom, and he only did it once in his whole life, 175 years, he never gave anything to God. There were no Arabs around. Because Ishmael and Esau wasn't even born. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Everybody feel good about that? If you want to download it, you can download it. I have to behave myself on this. I'll tell you afterwards. I downloaded the book to tell the truth, 250 pages. It cost me nearly a quarter of a ream. Half a ream. Paper. And then the same writer did nine pages against a minister in Sydney on tithing, eight pages against a minister here in Melbourne on tithing, 32 pages against Kevin John Connor on tithing in my book of Hebrews. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed that indulgence there. But I want you to see the big picture. See, if we don't see the big picture, because all these are parts of the divine jigsaw puzzle. So it's really important to realize that Abraham, the father of all who believe, who's a covenant man, he meets this mysterious person, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And when it's taken up in Hebrews, remember, he interprets the name. Uh, interpret the name, you find the person behind the name. And he says, he's king of righteousness, he's king of peace. He's not just a righteous king or a peaceful king. He's king of righteousness and king of peace. And uh, if you're in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is righteousness, righteousness peace, Enjoy. The kingdom is like the king. If he's king of righteousness and king of peace, then the kingdom is like the king. So, kingdom of God is like the king. King of righteousness, kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace, and just for good measure, joy. Hallelujah. Wow.
So it shows you the picture. All right, now, the danger of this thing was the Aaronic priesthood, they ended up crucifying Jesus, who is the king priest of the tribe of Judah. If he was the tribe of Levi, it would mean that the Aaronic priesthood is still on. And we still have bells and smells and incense and nonsense and all the rest of it. But not now. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And it's like the Lord said to that boy on duty then, you're out of a job. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because he's the sacrifice. He's the king priest. Amen. All right. So let's, uh, oh, I've just got to do one more bit. Wow. Now, when you come to this, God took the seed that was in there. And, and please remember, as I said, Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. Well, when did he see Christ's day? And was Abraham going to give his tithes and offerings to every Tom, Dick and Harry floating around the country? And remember, four kings against five is nine kings. Melchizedek was the tenth king. And Abraham is the tenth from Noah and the twentieth from Adam. And Abraham, who's the tenth from Noah, uh, meets a man who's the tenth king and gives him a tenth. Think the Bible could be inspired? Now, when God introduces this here on a secondary level, a permissive will, if you please, what do we have? We have it all here. In the tabernacle of Moses, what do we see? We have the table of showbread and the uh, golden candlestick and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense here and the brazen altar and that. And we have a priesthood. We have the Mosaic Covenant here. We have the Aaronic Priesthood, APH. And then God institutes a whole tithing system here, but it was all in seed form here. But when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled and abolished everything here and brings us back to this. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus introduced the Lord's table, he interprets here what he never interpreted back here. He says, take this bread, this is my body. Take this cup, it's the New Testament in my blood. He couldn't interpret it back there because that was before the incarnation. And then Paul is the one or the writer takes up in Hebrews 5, 6 and 7 about Abraham giving tithes. Anyway, so much could be said on that. So it's all there. All right, now, when you come to this end of it, we come now to the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my body and blood. Jesus introduces the table. Jesus is king priest. That's the picture we have. So you have to see the big picture. All right, now, what we'll do, uh, we'll go to uh, Psalm 133. Have a few thoughts, and I'll put them on your paper there. Is everybody thinking with me? Is it hurting? (laughs) Almost. Hey, it takes a lot of work to prepare this meal for you people. Ask my wife. The hours we spend in the Word. Okay, Psalm 133, and uh, just run through some of the main uh, points here that you've got on your notes there. So the Aaronic priesthood and the psalm. 
Psalm 133. All right, now, the writer, as we've got there, is David on your notes. And he starts off, number one, the blessing of unity. And when he says, behold, it's like say, hey, ha- take a look at this. How good and how pleasant it is to brethren to dwell together in unity. What was the key to the early church? They were all there with one, apla- one place in one accord. And you'll find, I'll put the chapters there, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one place of one accord and the Holy Spirit came. So the blessing of unity is really important. And Satan's, uh, Satan gave uh, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, a, a motto to conquer the world with. You know what it was? Divide and conquer. And so the devil hates the church. And he's got his demons trying to divide the church, divide the church, fragment the church. But there's there's power in unity. And see, that's what we've got to watch. So unity, blessing of unity. And then brethren, Jesus is interesting. Uh, After the cross, after his resurrection, he says, go and tell my brethren and your brethren and my God and your God. See, there was that. Something happened in the resurrection there. Who is my brother? Who's my sister? Who's my mother? Who's anybody? Only those that do the will of God. So brethren, uh, unity of spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, you've got, I'm reading off your notes now. uh, Ephesians 4 verse 3 and 13. We are to keep the unity of the spirit until we come to the unity of the faith. Now, we haven't got the unity of the faith by a long way. All our denominational divisions prove that. But God's going to have a church that's going to come to the unity of the Spirit and then the unity of the faith. I believe that. And John 17, what does Jesus pray? That they all might be one, that the world may believe. I really believe God's going to answer the prayer of Jesus. It's too late up in heaven. Because he said that they all might be one that the world may believe and that the world may know. Nineteen times in his prayer, he uses the word world. So what does the world think of the church today? They used to tell me when I worked at a regular job, well, if I do become a Christian, Kevin, which church will I go to? You all have the same Bible and you're all supposed to be going to the same heaven, but you're all divided. Nice rebuke from a sinner. And then number four, he gives two symbols of unity. It is like the precious ointment, and then in verse uh, three, it's like the dew. Two symbols of the Holy Spirit, precious oil or anointment, and as the dew. Uh, It's a good contrast here. I want to give you a few points about the anointing oil in a moment. So Aaron, when the oil is upon his head, it runs down to the, uh, you know, from the head to the garments over the body, uh, that anointing there. And oil is always the symbol of the Holy Spirit, but dew is also the symbol of the Holy Spirit. But here's the difference. Oil flows down when it's poured out. There's an outpouring of oil. Then it flows down over the beard, over the skirts of the garments, down to the skirts of the garment. That's the picture we have. But dew only falls in a stillness of night. If it's a wild, rushing, boisterous, windy night, there's no dew. Dew only falls in the stillness. 
And there's times when we just have to be still and know God is God. You know, if our, our, our thoughts are like a nest of ants chasing one another around in our skull. You're not going to get any Jew. But two beautiful symbols, oil of the Holy Spirit. Then number five here, reading off your note here, head and body, it flows down from the head to the body, the anointing that breaks the yoke. I put some scriptures there. He that anoints you, uh, and in Acts 11, verse 26, they were first called Christians, anointed ones at Antioch. And in John, I've got, you've got the scriptures there, you have an unction anointing from the Holy One. Uh, number six, this is very interesting. When you go back to Exodus 30, verses 22 to 30, you'll find that there were certain ingredients and instructions about the anointing oil. I'd like you to fill in four words there. Ingredients and instructions concerning the holy anointing oil. Now, I'd like you to say amen. We all understand what we mean by the anointing. The, the touch of the Holy Spirit, that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, every time I come to teach, I say, Lord, I just need, and my wife prays with me, just, Lord, I just need fresh unction in the function. Uh, I don't want to just give information to the mind. I just want that touch of the Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, you'll anoint the words. Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. It's the spirit that gives life to the words. If there's no spirit, there's no life. It's just words. And I don't want to be guilty of just multiplying words. I just want the Holy Spirit to touch the words and they touch your heart. How many can say amen? That's what we're talking about, the anointing. Now, listen carefully here and think of application today. First bulletproof there, the anointing oil was not to be imitated. No, sorry to say this, but we've traveled around a little bit. Sometimes I see a lot of imitation of Holy Spirit anointing. Imitating. Remember Samson? Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson. Next minute he'd run off with a woman. Spirit of the Lord come upon Samson. He'd shake everything. But eventually, when he told his secret of his strength to Delilah... She said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And you know the sad thing? So sad. He woke and he said, I will shake myself like other times. But he didn't know that the Spirit of the Lord had gone from him. Oh, he shook it all, imitated. That's how the Holy Spirit used to come on. But the Spirit had gone and he didn't even know it. Wow. Oh. Number two. The anointing oil was not to be counterfeited. And sometimes I think, as we travel around, we see counterfeit Holy Spirit activity. You know, and back in my days when I was younger, last Sunday we sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the presence of God was so powerful. And then this Sunday I tried it again, and it was as flat as a tack. And dead as Julius Caesar. Uh, you can't counterfeit or imitate. Eh? People pick it up. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. Not to be counterfeited. Listen to this one. Number three. This holy anointing oil was not to be substituted. 
And I think we have a lot of substitutes for the Holy Spirit. We'd like the Holy Spirit to move, but because he's not moving, we'll bring in some substitutes and try and get something going. Substitute. And the Holy Spirit just pulls back and says, oh, they really don't want me. They've got some substitutes. Wow. And then listen to this one. The fourth thing about the anointing oil was it was not to be poured upon man's flesh. Religious, stinking flesh. And he says that anybody who does that would be cut off. And we just get cut off from the presence of the Lord or from that touch of the Holy Spirit. Pardon me mentioning this again, but I, something I'm talking to ministers like, about lately. That any ordinances in the church, unless we maintain the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, they can degenerate into lifeless forms. So water baptism... I've heard said now, nothing in the water, just believe God. You know, we go down a dry sinner and come up a wet one. Hey, I'd like to see when they go down under the water and they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they rise to walk in newness of life. Leave the old cigarette and the dirty habits they had. Leave them down in the tank. Bury the old life. Amen? Otherwise they go down a dry sinner and come up a wet one. Same with the communion. I think I've mentioned this before. Pardon me repeating it. When I belonged to a church, we didn't believe in communion. Then I came into a Pentecostal church saying, now we're going to have communion today, nothing in the bread, nothing in the cup. Let's look away to Jesus. And my poor little mind would think, well, if there's nothing in the bread and nothing in the cup, Lord bless this nothing, may I get nothing out of it, and I got nothing out of it. (laughs) Either there's something in it, and if there's nothing in it, why waste your time? See, it's a touch of the Holy Spirit. Do we believe about the anointing of oil? When I go back to David, who wrote this psalm, and when he talks about when, when he was anointed, it says, uh, Samuel anointed David with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. In other words, the Holy Spirit worked with the symbol of his own being. That's what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you can just pour oil. You know. So, Holy Spirit, work with this thing. Laying in hands. Is there anything in it? Or are you just laying empty hands on empty heads? <laughs> See, all scriptural, but anything can become a form without the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Don't pour the oil on man's flesh. Religious flesh, stinking flesh, uncrucified flesh, the unregenerate. Don't pour it. Otherwise we get cut off. Thank you, Kim, for those good points. Everybody said amen. Amen. So, gifts of the Spirit, the anointing, fruit of the Spirit, the dew, refreshing, when everything is quiet and still. Okay, let's keep going. Number seven, the, the oil flowed down to the skirts of the garments. Exodus 12, 28, verses 1 to 4, we're told that Aaron was clothed in garments of glory and beauty. And when you go to Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and needed changing and cleansing because he'd just come out of Babylon captivity and his garments were defiled by Babylonian traditions. Everything like that. The mountains of Zion number 8, Zion, the heavenly Zion we're talking about. Uh, we come unto heavenly Zion, heavenly Jerusalem. Earthly Zion was just shadow on earth of that And there the Lord, where? Where there's unity and the brethren dwelling together, where the anointing is, 
That's where the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. The, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. Okay, so prophetic on the bottom of your notes, first of all of Christ and then of the church's body. All right, let's go over to our last uh, page here. And uh, what I want you to do now, for our last few moments as time keeps moving, and uh, we are dealing with such vast subjects here. In Psalm 110, if you want to turn back to that, just glance over it. There are eight particular points that I've sort of summarized in one word, and it's all on your notes, so don't sort of feel frustrated. But let's uh, just go to the topic of the notes a moment, and then we'll come back to the board here. All right, so Psalm 110 is written also by David. So David had insight, revelation, and this psalm here is particularly a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah. So he had the, the psalm on the Aaronic priesthood. Now by revelation he gets this one on the Melchizedek priesthood. And he goes way back to Genesis, picks that out, and prophesies of Christ. And then whoever wrote Hebrews, but Paul, I believe, he takes it and applies it all to Jesus. All right, now, on your notes here, this is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's quoted by Peter. You've got the references there. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's quoted by Paul. That's if Paul wrote Hebrews. But uh, it's quoted by Paul. Hebrews and Corinthians, Ephesians and Philippians quoted, and Hebrews 10. And then Hebrews is founded on this Messianic psalm. In fact, the key to understanding the book of Hebrews is this Messianic psalm. All right, so what I'd like you to do, and I'm watching our time here, I'd like you to take the eight points, because the reason I put this here, David is prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, uh, he rejoiced to see my day somewhere, whenever he saw it. Did he see it in Melchizedek? And uh, Hebrews 5, 6 and 7 applies the whole thing. So I want to take the eight points and I want you to take the words and just take one word and put it on each of these things because seeing it applies to Christ, it belongs to this dispensation. It belongs to the time we're living in. All right, so on your note there on page two, number one, the outline of the psalm. Now that's all I've done. The outline of the psalm is Messiah's ascension. So just put there, ascension. And how does it begin? The Lord said to my Lord. Now, there's, there's, I mean, this psalm is so loaded, it's unbelievable, but I've put plenty of scriptures for you. When Jesus ascended on high, did you know that for 30 years Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth? Then when he was water baptized, listen carefully here, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became known as Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, Jesus anointed. Did you know that for 33 and a half years, he was never known as the Lord Jesus Christ? But I want you to turn over to just one scripture, Acts chapter 2, and uh, I do want to encourage you to read the scriptures. I mean, we're dealing with such vast things here. So, uh, let's see, Acts chapter 2 will do. Uh, yeah, Acts chapter 2, where are we? 
Everybody breathing? All right, Acts chapter 2. Now, listen to this. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the first revelation. And Peter quotes in verse 16 from the prophet Joel. Remember, in the early church, they had no New Testament. The New Testament was in the Old Testament. And then, after quoting from Joel, he goes down to verse, uh, uh, verse 29, we'll pick up. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, so David being a king, touching and priesthood, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, keep this in mind, the word oath, to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this, or seeing this before, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his, uh, did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now uh, see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, here's the crux of it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And this is the first declaration of the triune name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father is speaking to the Son. And I said this last week, my son partook of my name, Connor, and took my money as well. But uh, he has his own name, uh, Mark Andrew. Jesus has his own personal name. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became Jesus Christ. But when he ascended on high, the Father said unto the Son, the Lord said to my Lord, He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? Then when they heard this, they were cut, excessively irritated, stabbed to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, what shall we do? And the earliest manuscripts say, repent, and every one of you be baptized in the name of the earliest manuscripts have Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even quote Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than that, that meets the ear. Okay. Number two, off your notes here. Second word, Messiah's enthronement. Sit on my right hand. Read those scriptures and you only sit when you finish the work. It's a finished work. I said this last week too. It all blends. Seeds from Psalms. Every priest standing daily ministering the same sacrifices can never take away sins. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down. Because God said, sit on my right hand. His enthronement. Number three, enemies. So, so just fill in because it's all applicable here. Enemies. Sit on my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. What's the last enemy to be destroyed? Death. Death is the last enemy. It's an enemy. You never say, oh, come, blessed death, grab me. <laughs> no. It's an enemy. 
It's the last thing to be destroyed. So though he conquered death on Calvary by his resurrection, for us it's still the enemy. And may I throw this in for the studious ones? Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead? Uh, his body was in the shape of the cocoon. But the napkin or the cloth that was round about his head had been folded up. Why? Because John went in, saw and believed. What did he saw? What did he believe? The head had finished with death. The body is yet to finish with it. Enemies. Number four. Messiah, Messiah, Messiah's in Zion. That's right. And we're talking about the tabernacle of David and the significance of Zion. And we're talking about the heavenly Zion. Not the Zionist movement over there. Anything like that. Heavenly Zion. Don't get mixed up in the wrong Zion. Okay, number five. Messiah's people. Beautiful here. Uh, the people, Messiah's people. Who's Messiah's people? The church. And uh, uh, the, old, the old translation says, your people shall be willing in the day of your power. Not referring to the unconverted Jewish nation, referring to Jews and Gentiles that are in Christ, your people, the church. And then the new, new translation, New King James says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. How many volunteers really? <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, that's it. The church, a free will offering in the day of your power. And that's what we're looking at. Now, number six is important. Uh, just a few more minutes here. Bear with me. Messiah's oath of the royal priesthood. Now, you must read the scriptures, and I just have to quote the truth of it. The, the, the oath is very important. Now, uh, you, may not, you may disagree with me disagreeably, but disagree agreeably. I personally believe that Melchizedek is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, one of my major reasons is, whoever Melchizedek was, God said to him, I'm giving you the oath of an eternal priesthood. And God said to Melchizedek, somewhere back here, if, if we understand this, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the significance of that is, Melchizedek, whoever he was, he got the oath of the eternal priesthood. Now Jesus comes along and Jesus ascends to heaven and God says to him, you are my son, you are a priest. And he was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How can you have two high priests that have the same oath of an eternal priesthood? I put down in this book here that some of you may have got the Lord Jesus Christ, our Melchizedek, 32, priests, uh, 32 reasons why I believe that Jesus is Melchizedek. Rush and buy your copy. Okay. So I want you to think of that because you see in the Hebrews, he says, when these priests of the Aaronic priesthood were made priests, they were made priests without oath. Because you see, they died and were succeeded by reason of death. But this man, because he lives in the power of an endless life and was dead but for three days and three nights, now lives in the power of an endless life, has received the oath of an eternal priesthood. 
And you know why? Another reason, so much here. We think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A priest is a mediator. One who stands between, a go-between. And I've given you this before, those who have good memories, and not memories like sieve, the little boy's theology about the Godhead, three in one and one in three, but it was the one in the middle that died for me. That's good theology. Jesus is the central person of the Godhead. And when he died on the cross, was he the sacrifice or the priest? He was both. He offered his human nature by the power of the divine nature. He was both victim and victor. He is both king of the tribe of Judah and priest in the Godhead. Okay, now time's just about up. Number seven, Messiah's triumph. What's it say? He's going to strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Now notice the two days here. The day of his power, when the church will be there as volunteers and willing people, free will offering, but the day of his wrath. When you get to the book of Revelation, you see ten kings of the Antichrist kingdom and the seven heads on the beast kingdom. He's going to strike through those kings in the day of his wrath. They say, hide us from the face of the Lamb, for the day of his wrath is come, and who will be able to stand? Nobody. And then number eight, Messiah's ultimate victory as the deer. Where is it? As the deer, he shall drink of the brook of the way, therefore he shall lift up his head. So just as the deer escapes all those wild beasts and wild enemies, drinks the brook of the way, lifts up his head, I beat them. So Jesus, our king priest forever, will do. Everybody said amen. amen. Wow, are you still breathing out there? Oh, it's overwhelming. All right, let's all stand. That's enough. You've got to pick up your kids. Let's all stand. Father, we just are overwhelmed with the glory of the inspiration of your word. Every word, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. May we feed upon these things, Lord. May they be spiritual nourishment to us as believers as we go into another week. And may we glorify you in everything we think, say, and do. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Oh, your assignment. Your assignment. Don't be lazy. All right, for our last sessions, I want you to read two long psalms, Psalm 105 and Psalm 106. And these are psalms of Israel's history, 105, 106. And then we're going to close our second session next week, Psalm 150 on the doxology. Psalm 150. God bless you. Have a great week. Be sure to pick up a copy of Kevin Connor's verse-by-verse exposition on the Book of Psalms, available in Australia from word.com.au and internationally from Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop.